All right, if you want to come in and grab a seat, you can open up to Luke chapter 14. We'll get started there today. Uh, so last week we started a series called Relatable, and we're talking about how we relate to others. Uh, we have a number of important relationships uh, in life, and we have relationship, our relationship with God, there's something spiritual uh, that's important, but then we have relationships with other people as well. And as we kind of go through this series, here's our hope, is that, uh, that we would... We would uh, we, we want our relationships to flourish. We want our relationships uh, to be healthy. And uh, relationships are difficult. They're, they're challenging. And so uh, over the, the next few weeks, what we're talking about is how, how do we become relatable? And, uh, and, and so this is kind of a, a, an inward look, um, a time of reflection, a time of allowing um, God to just grow us, um, to expose the things kind of inside of our, our soul that, that hinder relationships, and then um, to, to allow us to just thrive. And uh, so I, I was talking last week about how there's some people that just seem like I, I can relate to, and um, they, they, they're healthy, they're, they're people that I like to, to be around, to follow. Um, and last week, these, I, I talked about how these, most, most of these people, they have great self-awareness, and so they just seem to have a self-awareness uh, that allows them to, to be in relationships with people. Last week, we talked about how self-awareness and soul awareness are so important, and uh, um, we had a couple different tools uh, to help just kind of raise self-awareness. This week, I want to talk about how um, relatable people that, that I know and enjoy just have a humble heart. We'll talk about the spirit of humility today, and I think one of the best stories to just uh, illustrate this is a story of Jesus in Luke chapter 14, and so if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen, or you can pull out your Bible or your phone, although you're probably going to get notifications from the Cardinals game, but um, try to ignore them for a little bit. Let's read this. Uh, this is God's word in Luke chapter 14. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guest had picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a powerful verse, verse 11. 
It's an axiom of the kingdom of God. And we find this throughout Scripture. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's something about the kingdom of God, the economy of the kingdom, the way that God works in this world that humbles the proud, yet gives grace to the humble. This is a passage about humility, and there's a lot going on here. Uh, But humility is something that I would say is one of the defining characteristics of a follower of Jesus because, because we find that Jesus is humble. He humbled himself, became a servant. Humility is something that we've talked about, you know, a lot in other sermons. You know, there's the the C.S. Lewis definition is that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but just thinking of yourself less. I heard one person say that it's having an accurate and modest estimation of who you are. Humility doesn't mean that you have a, a low view of yourself. It just means that you have an accurate view of yourself. Archibald Alexander, uh, the the old Presbyterian pastor, said, Humility is to the Christian what the ballast is to the ship. It keeps the Christian in their proper position and regulates their thoughts and their feelings. There's something about humility that just kind of grounds us in reality. doesn't let us get too high or get too low. There's an old poem written by George Herbert who said, Humble we must be if to heaven we go. High is the roof there, but the gate is low. It's a good rhyme. There's something about humility that is this this humble heart that is a defining characteristic uh, for for followers of Jesus. And what I've found is that people that I relate to, the people that I just really uh, look up to, have these these humble hearts. And when you're around them, you get the sense that life doesn't revolve around them and that that life isn't all about kind of their, their agenda. That um, you realize that they're, they're in tune with who God is and, and they're genuinely interested in the world around them. In this passage, there's a couple things that we, we learn about humility. Just some observations. As the story opens, I would say that Jesus displays humility in this story. The, the, it says that he's, he's at dinner with a prominent Pharisee. And if you know a little bit about some of the language and nuance of Scripture, you'll know that the Pharisees don't always get along with Jesus. Jesus doesn't always get along with the Pharisees. In fact, the Pharisees are often very jealous of who Jesus is um, because of some of their own religious pride. They're, they're jealous of his following and, and also because of some of their own, maybe some of the toxic religion that's in their heart. Uh, Jesus is exposing that and they don't like it. And here we find that, that he's having dinner with them. And, and as he's having dinner with them, it says that he's being watched carefully. Have you ever felt like you've been like walking on eggshells around people like that? Just the way that makes you feel inside. So this isn't like a super life-giving dinner party for Jesus, right? This is like, I'm going to go there even though this isn't easy and I'm going to eat with them. We see here in in the life of Jesus, he'll eat with anybody. He'll eat with people of questionable character. He'll eat with the religious elite. Jesus, Jesus doesn't make judgments of who he's going to eat with and be in the presence with based on who you are. He will eat with anyone. There's something about here where he knows that these people are actually setting a trap for him. They're out to get him. Bless you. Uh, Out to get him, and he still says, I will eat with them. He displays humility with who he decides to eat with, even though he's being carefully watched. And then the the trap is set. They're they're trying to, to trip him up and they've probably brought this person in who has this disease of the swelling of his joints. And, and the thought is, on the Sabbath, Jesus 
We know what he does. He always tries to heal people. He's always helping people. He's always, like, at work. But will he do it on a day when he's not supposed to, to work, not supposed to do anything? There's this crisis that comes up. And what we find is that Jesus, knowing that his reputation is on the line, knowing that this is going to be looked at by the religious elite as a bad thing, decides he's going to heal this man. And he heals them, and he says to them, what do you think's right to do? And they just are silent on it. Jesus shows humility because he says, uh, I'm going to do the right thing here. No matter what you think about me, I'm going to do it. But then something interesting happens in the story. It starts off with them observing Jesus, and then all of a sudden something switches, and we find that Jesus is actually observing the Pharisees. And it says that he looks around and he notices how they've all positioned themselves around the table to be in the position of honor. And he says, hmm, interesting. It's almost comical how it kind of switches here. They're, they're watching Jesus carefully, but the whole time Jesus is all of a sudden watching them. And I think that's interesting, too, because how often in my life I just put God on trial or the church on trial. And, and I often will hold it to a standard that I won't hold myself to. And then I'm reminded that actually, like, God's watching my life and the fruit that I produce and the healthy behaviors that I have. But Jesus kind of looks at them, and all of a sudden he realizes that they're on trial, and he has this story for them. And he doesn't come out condemning them, but he just, what he does here is so brilliant how he just kind of exposes something that's going on in their own heart. He tells a story, and he says in this parable, here's what you should do, and here's what you shouldn't do. And in the parable, he says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you to come may say to you, give this person your seat. And then, humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed, you will have to take the least important place. So this is a, a culture that is an honor system. And at dinner, what you, would, what you would do is there would be the host. The closer you would get to the host, the more important you would look, the more prominent you would look, the more powerful and influential you would look. And so people would, would want to position themselves to be closer. I mean, that's like natural like human behavior. We want to be in the position that, that makes us look better. And Jesus says, but you're starting there. And be very careful what you're assuming about yourself. Because that might be reserved for someone else. And if it is, that's something that can be kind of embarrassing when you start at the top like that. And here he says, what, here's what you should do. When invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. Don't start assuming that you should be next to the host, but start at the bottom. There's something about here that is revealed in their hearts that that all of, all of these Pharisees, they've been positioning themselves to be near the honored guest. And Jesus says, what I desire is for a people, a people who would take the lowest position. And when you take the lowest position, there's something there that, that is when you are raised up, you are honored. How often do we position ourselves to take the place of honor in relationships, at work, in our neighborhood? And part of that is just ingrained in us. Like, we, we want to look successful. We want to be successful people, and that's okay. But there's something here assuming 
our own, our own worth and our own value that Jesus is saying, here's something that can be dangerous. When you exalt yourself first, there's a humbling that comes. And what we find is that Jesus, what he doesn't want is pride and haughtiness with his people. But when you start low, the lowest position, you allow for God to work in your life. There's a danger here when we exalt ourselves. A, a couple of things, when we exalt ourselves, when we exalt ourselves, we become preoccupied with ourselves and our own agenda, and we neglect the needs of others. We come be preoccupied with ourselves, and we see this in the, this dinner party with Jesus and the Pharisees. They're preoccupied about their own honor, and then when this person comes who's hurting, who's broken, who needs help, none of them speak up for him. Because to do that, would you would put yourself, yourself in the place of Jesus where all of a sudden there's this question of, 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 of your uh, reputation. And they're so preoccupied with their own position that they can't even help the person right in front of them who has needs. When we exalt ourselves, we become preoccupied with our own, own agenda, and so often we, we don't have the eyesight to see the people around us who need help. As we uh, were going through the Enneagram uh, last week, that was one of the tools that we can use to kind of help our understanding. I don't know if you guys took the test, I'm a two. Uh, I'm a two, which means um, I'm a helper. I like to think that I'm a helper. And uh, one of the things that the, the vices for the two is pride. And so often uh, my, my motives get mixed up, um, and, and oftentimes I'll try to help people out of my own pride. Or I get so preoccupied with my, my own agenda that I miss the people who are around me that truly need help because I'm so hard charging ahead trying to help people to make myself look good. And this is something that I deal with is my own preoccupation with myself. We get preoccupied when we try to exalt ourselves, even when our motives are disguised as something good. Number two is that when we exalt ourselves, we, we have a puffed-up estimation of our value. And all of these, they start with P because I'm a pastor, and it just makes it easier to remember. Um, we have this puffed-up estimation of our value. Um, I, I heard uh, someone say it was... Uh, if I could buy a man for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, I would make a fortune, right? And uh, to have a puffed-up view of, of who we are it doesn't mean that we have self-confidence. It doesn't mean that we appreciate who we are. That's why I think humility gives us that true kind of assessment and understanding of our value. Um, but oftentimes when we're trying to exalt ourselves, we kind of over-inflate our value. And that could be something that, that is not good for our soul. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That idea of thinking of yourself with sober judgment, to be wise about who you are and your limitations. That doesn't mean that you have a low view of yourself, but to have an accurate view that a sober judgment allows you to assess kind of your own value and not to look puffed up in front of other people. Um, third is that often when we exalt ourselves, we put off other people. We put off other people. And uh, so like, it, it, we, we could tell that when people are you know, puffing themselves up and, and talking about themselves, do we like necessarily being around them? It's, kind of, it's something that just rubs us the wrong way. 
And like for me, like if I was up here sharing with you about how good of a basketball player I was in high school and how my team won the state championship and I was a starter, and there's something about that that inside of you goes like, oh, it's kind of cool, but like, ooh. Like when we, when we hear people just kind of bragging about ourselves, um, it's something that puts us off and it's kind of like, why do you, what, are you, what are you trying to compensate for that you have to keep talking about yourself to make yourself look good? Again, it doesn't mean that you don't have an accurate understanding and confidence in who you are, but when we exalt ourselves and you're around people who exalt themselves, it just puts you off. And that's something that happens with exalting ourselves. Um, one of the things that I have uh, learned, my dad's a pastor, and, and just learning, you know, looking at like leadership and, and being in and work with people. And a lot of you are, 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 are managing teams, are working with teams. Um, he, he reminded me of this, that I think it's so helpful, is that people will, will respect you for your achievements, the, the, the things that you are proud of. They'll respect you for that. But people will love you for your, your vulnerability uh, to share your, your failings, to share your failures, to share uh, your limitations, to share your brokenness. Because, because it allows people to relate to you. And so they'll respect you because of your achievements, but, but to go deep with people, to have a relationship where you're, you're on the same team and, and you have people that all of a sudden are just sold out and excited about what you're doing. Um, what you'll find is that when you're able to share out of a place of vulnerability, there's, there's a bond that gets built there. They'll respect you because of your achievements, but, but they'll, they'll, they'll sell out for you when you're, you're open and honest with them, when you're vulnerable. So often we put people off when we try to exalt ourselves. The fourth thing is um, we produce hindrances of, being, hindrances of being used by God. When we exalt ourselves, so often we, we want to move ahead of God. We want to move faster than God. And, and we become unavailable to just his plan and his desire for us. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So often we, we can hinder God's work because we're trying to promote ourselves. We're trying to move quicker than God's plan for us. And then the fifth thing is that we position ourselves for demotion or embarrassment. We position ourselves for demotion or embarrassment. Here's what I found in my life. I feel like God has, has put these things in my heart and he's called me to do all these things. And as a leader, I want to charge ahead of doing them. But when I don't uh, just allow God um, to move in my life, when I don't allow him to raise me up, when I try to move quicker than God is often where I get in trouble. I love the story of, of Joseph in the Old Testament. Like Joseph, God gives him these dreams about how someday he's going to rule over his brothers, and he tells them about it, like when he's 12 years old. Bad idea. Um, and, and God has, has given him these dreams that he's going to be this very important, prominent figure later in life. But he, he, he's excited about it, and he moves almost too quickly. And because of that, it creates all sorts of uh, trials in his life. And it's not until much later in life, after he's been sold into slavery, spent time in prison, spent time as a servant, um, that he's finally raised up to a position that he felt called to at the beginning. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And what we find in Joseph's life is that if he had moved too quickly with the things God called him to, it maybe would have been bad for his soul. And he goes through this humbling experience because God's doing something inside of him so that when he's finally lifted up to this position, a position of authority, his soul isn't get corrupted by power. There's this waiting period of where God calls us to do these certain things, but then 
allows us to go through these humble circumstances because he's doing a work in our soul. And he doesn't want us to be haughty. He doesn't want us to be puffed up so that when we're finally in this position of authority, we have the maturity to handle it. I think what this means is for us as followers of Jesus, it takes our disappointments, our discouragements, our failures, and says God's actually doing something in the midst of those circumstances. The things that we're struggling with, the things that we just want breakthrough on and we can't get, it's possible that God's actually doing a work inside of our soul, and if we let him, he'll make us more mature and complete so that when we get lifted up to those positions, we have the maturity to lead and to handle them. There's something that's going on here that every moment in our life, when we see it that way, every moment, everything that we deal with, God is at work in our life and our soul growing us to be a kind of person. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we don't exalt ourselves, but we humble ourselves. How do we get humility? It's not, I've never met someone that, you know, like a natural born leader. There's not like a natural born humble heart, right? It's not just something that some people are gifted at and they're just really humble. I mean, humility doesn't work that way. And and if you think that you have the gift of humility, there might be an issue with your humility, right? Because what I've learned about humility is that humility is only something that you can experience and learn through life experiences. You don't just naturally have it. It's not something that you read a book about and get. It's something that comes through experience. It's something that comes through your own disappointments. Something that comes through your own failures, even. A sense that life isn't all about you, it's not all about me. That God's up to something much bigger. Humility isn't something that you can just package in a book and consume. Having a humble heart comes from work and experience. It must be learned. How do do we cultivate humility? If we want to have a humble heart, if we want to be people um, of humble hearts, the first thing is is to spend time in the presence of God. Now, this is like the easy answer to everything, right? Spend time in the presence of God. But there's something else that's going on here. When we spend time in the presence of God, what we find is that this is our creator who has wired us a certain way, uh, who has a plan for our life, that we're, we're tapping into that presence to say, Lord, guide me in your ways. James chapter 4 says, but he gives us more grace. This is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In the presence of God, what we find is our center. In the presence of Jesus, we become who we are truly created to be. It's the ballast of a ship that keeps us stable, it keeps us on course, it keeps us grounded in the presence of God. This week in your journal, uh, the daily devotional is about John chapter 15. It's all about abiding in Christ. It says, without abiding, 
without being attached to the vine. There's nothing that we can do. But, but when we abide in Christ, we produce fruit in this life. In the presence of God, in the presence of God, we find humility. Second thing is to recognize that every gift is from God. So through the presence of God, through abiding with him, uh, we find humility. Second thing is recognizing that every gift is from God. I think what this does is it allows us to have grateful hearts, that even the things in life that are extremely challenging are turned into gifts that grow us. Frederick Buechner, this great Old Testament scholar, says this, Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is, in the boredom and the pain of it, no less than the excitement and the gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all the moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. Life itself is grace. We recognize that life is a gift from God. And everything that comes into it, that we see that God is at work. And in the things that we are discouraged with, disappointment with, disappointed in pain, just be, and, and, and those things are, are, are severe and serious things that we go through. There's a God that is still at work and his sovereignty behind all of that doing something in us. It doesn't mean that it makes it any easier or any less serious. But God takes all of our circumstances and can produce something fruitful. We recognize that life itself is grace, that life is a gift. And the third thing is to practice humility each day, to practice humility. That's something that's interesting, but first Peter 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time to cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How do you clothe yourself in humility? What does that mean? I think it means that every single day, it's the same way that you put on clothes. You consciously decide that I want to be one of a humble heart today. I want to have humility in my relationships with God and other people. And if I don't do that, if I don't daily go into this rhythm where I'm practicing humility, I start to exalt myself. For me, that's my default lean is to exalt myself. But every single day, again, saying, I come before God and saying, God, what do you have for me today? What, what was your will for me? We practice humility. I heard this quote as I was going through one of the books that was in the journal, um, Enneagram in the Way of Jesus by A.J. Sherrill, and I, I found it really interesting. It, says, it said this. It said, most of us have, a clear, have clearer strategies for how to achieve career success than we do for how to develop profound character. I thought about that. How, how often do we have strategies to develop profound character? Oftentimes we have strategies and we spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, working on success for our career. But here's the thing that we find with this rhythm of the kingdom is when we work on profound character, the success in the career comes with it. There's, when we work on a profound character, we're able to be raised up to where we want to get to. And so often we spend so much time on the strategies for the success and we don't put strategies and rhythms to develop profound character in our life. It was taken from David Brooks' The Road to Character. 
It says, we live in a society that encourages us to think about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life. The competition to succeed and win admiration is so fierce that it becomes all-consuming. We live in a culture that teaches us to promote and advertise ourselves and to master the skills required for success, but that gives little encouragement to humility and sympathy and honest self-confrontation, which are necessary for building character. And years will pass, and the deepest parts of yourself will go unexplored and unstructured. It says you are busy, but you have a vague anxiety that your life has not achieved its ultimate meaning and significance. When we spend time developing and structuring that inner world, we practice humility and we say, Lord, shape my heart and shape my soul so I can be who you desire me to be, to develop a profound character. When I seek first the kingdom, everything else is added to me, added it as well. Developing profound character through practicing humility. This is the axiom of the kingdom. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here's the thing. When God raises you up, when God promotes you, when God takes you from this lowly position to the seat of honor, there's nothing in the world like it. Better than any promotion at work, better than any promotion in any type of system is when God promotes you and raises you up. Because when that happens and at that time, you'll be exactly as God has desired you to be for the moment. It's prepared you for positions. We humble ourselves before God so that at the right time, he raises us up. How do we be relatable? We have humble hearts. We have a self-awareness. We have an accurate assessment of who we are. We trust that God is doing something in us, that life isn't just all about us and our agenda, but God is working, and God desires for us to thrive and flourish in this world. We humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, you take my life. I surrender it to you, and you do it. Tim's going to come back up, and we're going to partake in communion. And communion is an act of humility in itself, because what communion is, what communion signifies is that This salvation, this making right relationship with God, isn't based on my ability or my achievement, but it's based on this God who loves us and who has intervened in our life on our behalf. When we come to the communion table, what we do is we celebrate the work that God has done to bring about salvation of our souls. Not that we have accomplished it on our own, but that God, in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, has looked out for us and moved on our behalf. As we come to the communion table today, um, we come with humble hearts and say, God, move in my life. I don't want to be puffed up. I don't want to be haughty. I don't want to exalt myself. And in your due time, Lord, do what you will with my life. This is an act of remembrance and surrender. So we close with this last song. Feel free to move to both sides of the room. We have communion set up. Uh, We practice open communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to the table. We have a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. A cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you, for us. And through this, God humbling himself, becoming a servant, and going to the cross, we find life that is truly life. We find glory. We're finally raised up with him. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for this day and for this story. What a reminder of uh, the things that you value in this world. Lord, we're reminded that you're, you're not so concerned with our achievements and our position, but with our heart and with our soul. And yet, when you do a work in us, Lord, we become available to be used by you and produce a great fruit. We want to abide in you, Lord, in your presence. We want to see life as grace, as gifts, even the hard things, Lord, that you would work in our lives to make us more like you. We want to practice humility in our relationships with you first and foremost. That we say, thank you, Lord, for this great work that you've done on the cross and this work that you continue to do in our life to make us more like you. Lord, we just ask that you would search us today. That you reveal the things in our lives that would hinder your work. You would reveal the things in our life, Lord, that, that cause us to be just challenging and relationships with our loved ones. That you reveal the things in our life that we are trying to exalt. We humble ourselves before you today, Lord. And we ask that we would experience the life that is truly life that comes from this relationship with you. And in due time, Lord, that you would raise us up We give you this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.